Welcome to the Mission Cleveland Weekly Podcast. Encouragement and hope in a despairing world. Good evening, Mission Cleveland. Uh, as Luke said before, my name is Matt. Um, I've been part of the Mission Chattanooga for a very long time, um, and I remember when this church was founded. Um, I remember having uh, planning meetings at the funeral home, which is a little odd, uh, to be honest, to be planning a church sitting in a funeral home. Uh, but it is part of the beautiful story of this, of this church, and um, we're excited to be a part of it. Uh, I'm excited to go back to Mission Chattanooga and just report that Mission Cleveland is like, you guys are the most hospitable church in Mission in the Abbey, because I'm going to tell them, you know, they, they started doing name tags just for me, like, the first night I was there. Um, actually, that was for your guys' benefit, because if you didn't have name tags, I would have just, like, gone with the lowest, the average, and called all of you Luke. Um, so one thing I know about Mission Cleveland is everybody's name's Luke. Um, no, but it is a, it's truly an honor and a pleasure um, I feel, I feel very blessed to be with you guys tonight on what's clearly an incredibly important and intimate evening. Um, so as we get into the word, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to come. We give you thanks for your blessing. Lord, may your word go out and not return to you void, but accomplish all that you have set forth for it to do in this place, in our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This afternoon, we come to the sixth beatitude of Jesus opening his Sermon on the Mount. And I got to tell you, of all the beatitudes, I find this one the most captivating or the most arresting. I can't say that it's my favorite because I honestly have the next one tattooed on my body. Uh, but I do find this one just to the, the, be the most arresting, almost the most unbelievable, right? First, the blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart. And then even more so the promise, for they will see God. As we begin to explore this beatitude, I actually want to start with the second part of that verse, with the promise. Because it is in this promise that Jesus brings us to the very edge of mystery, to see God. What can he possibly mean by this? This, perhaps more than any of the other blessings and promises that Jesus makes, it must have been striking to his, hear, to his hearers, to his listeners, to his audience, because it would have been known above all else, it would have been known by these people that you cannot see God. That's impossible, right? Moses, who is the greatest name in the history of the Hebrew people, was the only person who came close to seeing God. Yet even Moses, the man who God personally told to lead the Israelites out of captivity, the man who God used to part the Red Sea, the man who led the Israelites through the wilderness, the man who went up on a mountain and brought the handwritten moral code of God back down to the people, even Moses, when he asked to see God, he would only show him, when he asked to see God's glory, would only show him his back. God made him turn his head because Moses could not see the face of God. So if Moses, the greatest of the patriarchs, could not see God, then what could Jesus possibly mean in this promise? 
the writer John in his gospel gives us a clue to the reality of this promise. In John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. No one has seen God but the Son, and he has made him known. Part of the promise of this parable is the truth that the unseen becomes seeable in Jesus. In Jesus, we see God. This becomes most evident in the Gospel of John when Jesus' disciples um, and even the religious leaders are asking Jesus to show them God. And Jesus responds, If you see me, you see the Father. You will see God. The good news is that God has come close to all of us in the person of Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit, we begin to see Jesus, who is God. In Colossians 1.15, the Apostle Paul tells us, Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. In Jesus, all of God's compassion, all of God's healing, all of God's love and restoration is on display and accessible. And it's 100% seeing God. With this, par- with this uh, um, beatitude, I worry that some people may not hear this as a blessing, right? That the, the, the you will see God. And um, there's a very famous T.F. Torrance quote that's really important for us to understand. It, is, it says that there is no God behind the back of Jesus. Someone in this room may have done a whole podcast on that quote. Um, it's Sean, in case you don't know, Sean. You should ask him. Um, but what we know about the Gospels and what we know about Jesus is that Jesus is 100% God. Amen. That who we see in Jesus is who the Father is. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we, we base our entire theology on who we see God in the person of Jesus and, and what God is doing through Jesus in the world. So if the, if, the, if the blessing, you will see God, for any reason, sounds like not a blessing, that sounds scary to you, then please reach out to your pastors. Because that is something the Lord wants to work through in your life. Because this is a blessing. And in Jesus, we see who God truly is. If you want to see God, feast your eyes on Jesus, because in him you will see God, and one day, one day you will see God face to face. This is the goal of creation. In Revelation 22, it says, Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And so this promise, like each of the other Beatitudes, is a promise that is now and not yet. We see God now in the person of Jesus, and throughout the gospel, Jesus promises to reveal himself in children and in the least of these, that in moments of love and compassion, he will be found. Jesus can be seen now, in this place, in this fellowship, in your love for one another. But there is also a promise that in the end, He will return and make all things new. The Apostle Paul says it like this. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we'll see face to face. And then we will know fully, even as we have been fully known. Then we will see him face to face. 
So that is the mysterious, beautiful promise that we will see God in Jesus. But who has promised that? The pure in heart. As we begin to look at the first part of this beatitude, we must begin by understanding what the heart is. What is the heart? Now, on the surface, this seems obvious because we use this word all the time. When we think or we talk about the heart, we imagine the emotional center of the human being from which flow love and compassion and anger and so on. Our hearts are lifted up in worship. Hearts fall in disappointment. Hearts are broken. Today, we often contrast the heart with the head. Whereas the heart is the center of our emotions, the head is the center of our intellect. However, this wasn't, the de- this wasn't necessarily the definition of Jesus' audience in the first century. You see, in, Greek, in the Greek of the New Testament, the heart is not the location of deep emotion, right? Instead, that's the bowels. When Jesus is moved with compassion or pity in the Gospels, in Matthew and in Mark, the word being used for moved with compassion literally means to be moved in the bowels. A translation that doesn't play particularly well contemporary English, since we tend to place compassion in the heart and not in the intestines. So what then is the heart in Matthew 5.8? The Hebrew understanding of the heart, or in Greek, the cardia, was the center of the human person that incorporated our will, our minds, and our emotions, right? So whenever you hear the word heart in the Gospels, in the New Testament, it means the center of the human person, not just your emotions, but also your will and your intellect and your emotions, It's why in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, as people who think that we make conscious decisions all the time, we we routinely, uh, in practice, think about the center of ourselves as being our mind and our thoughts. But the Bible, the center of the human person is the heart, the cardia. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So in Matthew's context, the heart here refers to the person's inner self in such a way that would include the will, desire, and understanding. It's the center of who you are. The other word that's important for us to understand here, uh, along with the idea of heart, is the word pure. The word pure here means to, uh, to be unmixed or unalloyed or very simply clear. With that in mind, we could translate the first part of this beatitude as clear at the center. Blessed are those who are clear in the center of who they are. So what would it look like to be clear at the center? How do we become pure of heart? How do we become so clear at the center of who we are that we are capable of seeing God? Not only in the life to come, but in the very world around us. I don't know about you, but when I think about that and I read about that, it begins to feel daunting and impossible. And if that's you, I just invite you to lean in because there is so much hope and grace here. Uh, The pastor and theologian Daryl Johnson has been um, such a help in our preaching team as we've studied through this sermon series. And um, and when he he preaches on this this, uh, beatitude, I just want to quote him at length here. This is Pastor Daryl Johnson. Remember, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is not describing eight different kinds of people, but rather eight different qualities of the same person. Eight different qualities that break into our lives when the gospel enters into us. 
And the order is not arbitrary. Jesus does not mention pure in heart first because if he did, it would undo us. What a struggle it is to be pure. Purity needs to be defined by the qualities that come before it. The pure in heart are also the poor in spirit, first and foremost. The pure in heart are not perfect and they know it. The pure in heart are also those who mourn. They mourn for their own brokenness and the brokenness they see in the world around them. They have not arrived and they know it. They are meek. They know they cannot make it on their own. They hunger for righteousness because they know they are not righteous, but they hunger for it anyway. And because of all of this, they are merciful to others who are poor and broken and hungry. So this purity at the center is something that is very down to earth, something we experience down in the valley, not on the mountaintops. End quote. Friends, if we do not take this beatitude in the context of the rest of the passage, we can fall into the trap that purity of heart requires perfection. But the truth is that Jesus was showing people that perfection, especially the sort of external purity culture perfection, is not what God is after. He's after our hearts. You know, there's only two other times in the Gospel of Matthew where this word pure is actually used by the Gospel writer Matthew. Uh, One is at the very end when they wrap Jesus in a linen cloth. The word described that linen cloth was pure or clean. But the other time is in Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is a scathing section of Scripture in which Jesus delivers the seven woes to the Pharisees. And he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean, same word, the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Isn't that a beautiful connection to our beatitude today? Woe are you who are internally filthy, you are blind. But blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see. You see, the consistent witness of Scripture is that Jesus and God are more concerned with your heart and your love towards others than any sort of outward perfection. And friends, this is the good news of the Beatitude. The pure in heart are not perfect. It's just that they know they cannot and they do not try to hide anything from God. They are a clear stream and everything can be seen. So they bring their thoughts as messed up as they might be, their feelings as ugly and as unruly as they might be, and their lives as broken and as imperfect as they are, all into the light of God's grace. Clear at the center. Your whole life an open book whose audience is God. That is what purity of heart is. If you, study, if you go through church history and you actually look up how this verse has been interpreted throughout history, there's three primary ways that the church fathers, the monastics, the scholastics, the reformers all talk about purity of heart. One is being cleansed, cleansed of sinful desire, right? And I actually think it's important to, to emphasize sinful desire there. Again, it's not external purity culture. It's actually your heart. The other one is an undivided devotion to God. Right? So a lot of people interpret this as being undivided in your devotion to God. But the third one is actually integrity in your relationships to others. 
If you'll notice that the psalm we read today in, tw- in, in Psalm 24, um, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who are, what, pure of heart and clean, clean hands and a pure of heart. And then the rest of that passage, that next verse, really defines pure of heart as being, having, good in, having integrity with external relationships. And um, the day before I was supposed to preach this in Mission Chattanooga, my wife and I, we were um, at home and she wanted to watch a movie and we we're flipping through. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. So if you, if you try and sit down with me and you flip through, what do you want to watch? Like, that's going to be your night, right? Um, but we came across the Fred Rogers documentary, Will You Be My Neighbor? And I hadn't seen it yet, and I've always wanted to see it. So we didn't watch it. I hit the save button. And we spent 10 more minutes searching, what are we going to watch on Netflix? And so my wife, finally, she's like, okay, stop. This is ridiculous. Let's go back and watch the Fred Rogers documentary. And so we did. Raise, have you seen Won't You Be My Neighbor? If you haven't seen it, it is so worth your time. It's an incredible film because here's why. Fred Rogers was pure of heart. His integrity with other people is unbelievable. The two things that come out of the documentary is, number one, everything that man did was because of how much God loved him, and he wanted to reflect that to the world. Without a doubt, he saw everything he did as ministry. And number two, the world could not believe it. The entire documentary is asking that question, is this really him? Is this actually true? Are you who you say you are? Friends, that level of integrity is the sort of pure in heart that Jesus is talking about here. The prayer of the pure in heart is Psalm 139. The end of that psalm says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. They pray this way because they know the first line of Psalm 139 is, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know everything about me. There's nothing I can hide from you. There is no escaping God's intimate knowledge of us, so they open themselves up to the searching and the healing light of God. Now, that can be uncomfortable and perhaps even scary. If you were to fully open yourself up to the healing light of God, what would happen? What sin or brokenness might he reveal that you have not given over to him? You see, living a life that is clear at the center is not about moral perfection, but it is about repentance and amendment of life in order to seek what is of ultimate beauty and importance. And that is the promise of this beatitude, to see God. The 19th century um, theologian Soren Kierkegaard really gets at this purity of heart. He actually wrote a small book that's all about preparing yourself for confession. It's called Spiritual, Pre- Spiritual Preparation for the Office of Confession. Uh, it's literally a book on how to prepare your heart for confession. And in it, he wrote this very famous line, Purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Friends, if you remember one thing tonight, I pray that it's to be pure of heart is to will one thing, and that one thing is Jesus himself. When I first began to write this sermon, I immediately thought of a young lady at our church at Mission Chattanooga named Michelle. Um, Michelle Getty Greenberg, since you guys don't know her, um, she was 32 and she passed away from cancer uh, earlier this spring. And um, after Ben passed away, I just want you guys to know that Mission Chattanooga is really praying for you. We've been in really, really hard moments of transition ourselves, and we knew you guys were praying for us, and I want you guys to know that we're praying for you. 
Um, right after Ben passed away, Michelle and I decided we need to have sit down and, and have a podcast and, and talk and interview her because Michelle was on a three-year journey that she knew was terminal from the beginning. I mean, imagine that, living three years with a terminal diagnosis. And so I wanted to meet with her just to ask her the question of how her relationship with God had changed in that amount of time. Michelle was an incredibly curious person before she got cancer. And what I experienced in Michelle was an incredible patience and a depth um, that I can't explain outside of God's just speaking to her and dwelling with her. And I immediately, as I thought about being pure in heart and this idea of purity of heart is to will one thing, I remembered something that she said in the podcast, and so I went back and I listened to it, and um, I realized she was actually just quoting from Every Moment, Holy Volume 2. But for the sake of the sermon, we're just going to pretend that that was Michelle's wisdom. And Michelle said this, just think about this with me, purity of heart is to will one thing. Michelle said this, from the moment we become Christians, we practice the art of dying because we give over these pieces of ourselves that we've been holding back from God or perhaps are still selfish or prideful or whatever. And so we're giving up these parts of ourselves and, and I like to picture that. All these things I have that I have been grasping onto have been taken out of my hands. And I think about that a lot. I've had to give up so many things over the past couple of years but then finally, it's in our empty hands that we hold on to Jesus. And I think that is so true. That finally, in our empty hands, it is God who puts the hands of Christ. And then it is Christ that we hold on to. That is the one thing we will never let go of. Amen. From life to death to life everlasting. Everything else we will have to let go of. And I can see that is so true. There are all these things that I am losing, but the fact that I get to hold on to Christ, and that is the one thing I can always be sure of, will never let go. Friends, what does it mean to live your life with an undivided heart? That's the question that comes to each one of us this evening. Jesus himself is standing before you. What is he asking to take out of your hands? What are you grasping onto that the Lord is asking you to give up in order to follow him? Undivided, uncut, clear at the center. That is what Jesus is asking for us. That is what Jesus is longing to bless. Mission Cleveland, may you begin to hand each of those things over to the Lord until the only thing that is left is him. That is what it means to be pure of heart. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Speak truth to my heart. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week. God's betrayed.